and uh, we will be moving around to several scriptures as we uh, move through this message today, as we think about uh, the glory of God and how He alone is worthy. Revelation 5 is where we'll start. Every year our church pays copyright licenses, and we do that to be able to photocopy songs and to be able to put lyrics on the screen and be able to watch videos and so forth because there are laws that forbid stealing the credit that belongs to someone else. They even have the same kind of thing in school where you can't copy someone else's work and call it your own. The term for that is plagiarism. If you're found guilty of plagiarism, you'll, you'll fail the project, or at the very worst, you'll be expelled from school. Stealing is wrong. Regardless of whether something physical is taken or not, we must give credit to where credit is due. So that means it is possible to steal without even realizing that you are stealing something. So this morning I have a question for you. Are you aware that you steal from God? Every single one of us are guilty of this. Because every single one of us takes something or gives something away that belongs solely to God, and that thing is glory. God alone is worthy of our glory, and that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. We must give God the glory He rightfully deserves by humbly trusting in His Son. Salvation and a right relationship with God is available no other way than humbly coming to God through His Son. And when we do that, God and God alone receives the glory He deserves. Let me invite you to stand, if you're able to, this morning in reverence for the reading of the Holy Word of God. So I'll be reading from Revelation chapter 5. And the Apostle John writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book, written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly, because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him and sat on the throne. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures... The twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain, and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea 
In all things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, Be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Let's pray together. Father, what a magnificent scene you have painted for us here in the Scripture. The scene depicting your throne room and the scroll that represents your will and no one being worthy to even open and perform or even to look into your will other than the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb that was slain, your son Jesus. Because he alone is worthy to accomplish your will and our redemption to execute your sovereign plan. Father God, you are deserving of the glory and so too your Son, Jesus Christ. All glory due to the Lamb that was slain. Father, we have come to this place this morning and we have sung songs of praise and songs speaking of your glory. And Father, we now open your word and we see you are worthy of glory. Father, help us to rightfully give you the glory you deserve. Father, help us to humble ourselves, to trust in your Son, the only way that we can be saved and right with you. And Father, through our humility, receive the glory you deserve. Father, exalt us through our faith, our trust in Jesus. We pray this in his blessed name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This morning we have come to the last of our series on the five solas of the Reformation. We have celebrated the 500-year anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, and, and we have talked about how the teachings of the Reformers have been categorized with five Latin phrases, these five solas. And we've looked at those one by one, how they have built upon another, the foundation of Scripture. Scripture alone is the authority and our source for, for doctrine and for life. and Through the Scripture, we see that we come to God by grace alone. It is not by any merit that we have in ourselves. God does not offer to us, add any goodness to us that we already have. It's solely by His grace. For we are sinners, depraved in His sight. And then we see that we come to God through His grace by faith not by works, not by doing certain things or not by paying certain amounts of money. We come to God by simple trust and humble faith. And where is that faith directed? Or better yet, who is that faith directed to? It is Christ alone. Because Christ alone is sufficient in His person and in His death on the cross and His resurrection. He alone is able. And as we saw in Revelation 5, He alone is worthy to perform the will of God to save us, to redeem us. It is Christ alone. And so if it is by the will of God and through the work of His Son, then it is solely by God and His grace alone. Therefore, God receives all the glory. We do not add to anything God has done in order to see our souls be saved, be right with Him. It is solely by God's grace. Therefore, it is all for God's glory. What do we mean when we talk about glory? In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for glory was kabod or kabod. 
The word Ichabod, the name comes from that glory. In a non-theological sense, Kabod meant weight or burden. And, and we can kind of picture that in a sense that God is so, so great and so, so heavy, so weighty that He alone is deserving of glory. But also we see it used in a sense of splendor and honor. In the New Testament, the word is doxa. We get doxology from that, a word about glory. It is used to define and to describe the brightness of God or His, His majesty. And so it is a very rich word, this word glory. And we see throughout the pages of Scripture that God displays His glory. He displays His glory in Psalm 19. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. So that means everywhere we go through what has been made, we can see the glory of God on display. But even more so, there are specific times and specific ways that God's glory is displayed throughout the pages of Scripture. It begins in the Old Testament. We see sometimes His manifest presence. His manifest presence. And in that we see from the book of Exodus a depiction of that. Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 through 38. It says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It was something visible, something tangible in this sense. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out until the day it was taken up. For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was fire in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. We refer to this in a term called the Shekinah, glory of God. Whereas glory that he, that, he, that he possesses, that is intrinsic to him, he has all glory, but sometimes God in his grace allows fragments of his glory to be on display in a way that we can see, in a way that we can sense and feel. In the Old Testament, sometimes it was the cloud or it was smoke or it was fire or it was light. Sometimes there were in specific special times, in special occasions, God would peel back the curtain just a little bit and allow a tangible display of His glory, His manifest presence. We also see in His majestic person, Namely, His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, Paul tells us, is the image of the invisible God. John chapter 1, verse 14, we've looked at this even last week. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, and He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature and upholds all things by the Word of His power. Jesus, as God in the flesh, was a walking, talking, physical, tangible expression of the glory of God. And there on occasion, when He went up to the Mount of Transfiguration, He allowed, again, His disciples to catch just a small glimpse of the glory that Jesus, the Son of God, rightfully possesses. God's majestic person, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God. And then finally, in the book of Revelation, 
in Revelation chapter 21, verses 22 through 24. I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 22, verses 22, or 21. 22-24, I saw no temple in it, speaking of heaven. For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God has illumined it. And its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. So this tells us this marvelous place called heaven, the glory of God is on full display full display for his people to, to see and but to understand even then there is a glory to God that is not able to even be seen or comprehended but a, a fuller display of the brightness of God so bright there's no need of the sun the brightness of his glory in heaven to know that's the place where God dwells where his people dwell and one day we will too dwell there with him his glory on display for eternity in heaven a couple months back we had that solar eclipse I know y'all remember that and people had to, to get the special glasses to be able to even look up at it why? because it was so bright and so, so radiant that no one with the naked eye could look upon it or else you'd face the harmful consequences of that in some ways, that is like the glory of God for us. And in Scripture, there were places and times where His glory poked through just a little bit because God's glory was not ever able to fully be displayed. No one could handle it. No one could gaze upon it. No one could see it and live and survive. His glorious power and His majesty, so weighty and so heavy, no one could withstand the fullness of God's glory. Yet there are times in Scripture where it was displayed. And we see that in the pages of the Bible. God displays His glory, but what's important for us to remember is God deserves the glory. God deserves the glory. We mentioned He has all glory to Himself. He, he possesses it all. There is no way that we could ever give God more glory than He already has. So by giving God glory or glorifying Him, we're not making Him more than He already is. That's impossible. But what we do when we give glory to God, we are giving honor to Him. We are ascribing to Him something He already possesses. What we are doing is we are acknowledging that God already has and deserves power and authority, glory in its fullness. God deserves the glory from us. The pages of Scripture tell us so. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8. God says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. And again, Isaiah chapter 48, verse 11. For my own sake, for my own sake, I will act. For how can my name be profaned and my glory I will not give to another? God is jealous for His glory. And God demands that we give Him glory. And we say, wow, does that make God selfish? That God says, worship me, worship me. And we say, that doesn't seem right to us. But think about it in these terms. 
If God is the greatest, and if God is the most glorious thing in all of existence, then to give glory to anything else is idolatry. Giving glory to anything else is glorifying something less than the best. And so God demands we glorify Him because God loves us too much. God loves you too much to see you give glory and worship something that is less than and inferior to the greatest thing there is. And that is God Himself. God demands your glory because God deserves it. And you will never be satisfied worshiping and glorying in something other than God Himself because He is the Almighty. So how do we glorify God? He is jealous for our glory. How do we, how do we give Him the glory? First of all, glorify God as the Creator. As the Creator. We see that in Psalm 148. Listen to these words. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's hallelujah in Hebrew. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him all His angels. Praise Him all His hosts. Praise Him sun and moon. Praise Him all stars of light. Praise Him highest heavens and the waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord for He commanded and they were created. He also established them forever and ever. He made a decree which will not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth. Sea monsters and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind, fulfilling His word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and winged fowl, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and virgins, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His glory is above earth and heaven. And He has lifted up a horn for His people. Praise for all His godly ones, even for the sons of Israel, a people near to Him. Praise the Lord. God, as the Creator, has created all things. And how scandalous it is to worship the created thing rather than the Creator. God deserves glory as the Creator of all, but God also deserves glory as the Sustainer. God sustains all. That means God provides everything to everyone and everything that is needed for existence. Psalm 145 Verse 8 and following, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all, and His mercies are over all His works. That means even those who sin against God, even those who deny His very existence, God is still good to them. He's still gracious and patient to them. How so? Verse 10, All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord. Your godly ones shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom your dominion endures throughout all generations the Lord sustains all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due time you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing That means that everything that exists, exists now because God created it and God allows it and God sustains it. 
The very air that you breathe, the very air that the atheist breathes, God supplies it. The very blood that is pumping through your body, the very blood that is pumping through the body of those who worship a false god is being pumped through the body because God provides it and God sustains it and allows it to be so. We call that common grace. God's grace is upon everyone and everything because everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one deserves to even exist. But by God's common grace, He sustains all living things. Glorify God as the Creator and as the Sustainer. But specifically, glorify God as the Redeemer. As the Redeemer. Now this was the chief concern of the Reformers. We talked about what took place 500 years ago. And what bothered them so much about the current state of the church in that day was that God's glory was being robbed because of the doctrines that were being taught. It was not Scripture alone. It was Scripture and the church had the authority and the church could establish authority and the church could mandate its own doctrine rather than letting Scripture speak for itself. It wasn't grace alone. It was grace and human merit that somehow God came in and infused something more into you to help you get up over the hump to be good enough. No, it was grace alone. God breathing life into a dead spirit and bringing life, causing the, the new birth. It wasn't faith alone that was being taught. It was faith and works. You had to go to the, the local church and you had to do these certain acts. You had to perform these certain chores, these certain tasks. You had to, you had to accomplish your, your penance. You had, to, you had to do things along with believing in Jesus. Reformers said it was faith alone. They were angry because it wasn't Christ alone that was being taught. It was, it was Christ plus the church, Christ plus the priest, Christ plus whatever mediator you needed to come to God. It wasn't like, it was Christ plus other things. The reformer said, if that's the case, then Christ is not sufficient. The scriptures teach otherwise. And because it wasn't all of these things alone, then there was no way it was glory to God alone. You see, the church would have said, yes, we, we give glory to God, but the church at the same time was robbing God of His glory by being the authority, by being the mediator, by, by establishing these rules by which people needed to follow in order to go to heaven. God's glory was being robbed by His church. Reformers were angry about that. The reformers said, we need to come to God on His terms. We need to give God the glory He alone deserves as the Redeemer. Why is that the case? Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. We see a couple of points we need to understand clearly. If God needs, if, if God deserves the glory alone, we see why. First of all, it's His sovereign will to redeem. The plan of redemption in the cross was not God's plan B. It wasn't as if God said, you know what, uh, now mankind has sinned. I need to figure out some way to fix this mess. It was God's sovereign will from all eternity to save those who have sinned against him. We see this in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. 
that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. This was God's plan even from the beginning. Before the world was even formed, before the foundation of the earth, God in His sovereign will decreed, I will redeem, I will save my people. He deserves the glory for His will, but also His saving work. His sovereign will and His saving work, because Paul goes on to describe God's will and how God's will was accomplished in Christ, beginning in verse 7, in Him... Speaking of Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind intention which He purposed in Him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ things in the heavens and things on the earth. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works in all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. In Him, Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in Him, with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. God receives all glory because salvation was by His will. God receives all glory because salvation was solely by His work. We do not add or bring anything to it to to finish or to complete what God has already done. Ladies and gentlemen, God's work has been accomplished in Christ Jesus and through Him alone. What is that work that He has accomplished for us that deserves His glory? First of all, it's our justification. We have been made right with God because of what Christ has done for us. Ephesians chapter 10, God's justification for us. He he declares us righteous, declares us holy and blameless even though we were sinners Paul speaks about that in Ephesians 2 verse 1 and following you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest but God even though that's who we were, but God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, no one may glory. No one can glory in the fact that they are right with God. God alone deserves that glory, for we are His workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God even prepared beforehand that we would walk in Him. Even the good deeds and the good works that we do, God has already ordained them for us. We take no credit, no glory in our salvation or even in our good works, the fruit that's manifested from that. All glory goes to God. Our justification. We are freed from sin's penalty because of His saving work. But only that, we are, we are freed from sin's power because of our sanctification. Our sanctification. Paul talks about that in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. That's in the, that's in the, uh, the passive sense. We are, we are being transformed. It's being done to us. We're not transforming ourselves. We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Just as from the Lord the Spirit. That means God is working on you. That means the Spirit is working on you. You are a work in progress. He who began a good work in you, He will be faithful to complete it. That means God is transforming you. God is changing you. God is is molding you and shaping you and crafting you. He He is designing you into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Yes, we have been saved and sanctified and set apart, but now God is beginning to, to bring that process to sanctification to bear on us so that our lives would truly reflect who we really are in Christ. God is doing that for you. God is doing that. He deserves the glory. You don't make yourself more holy. God makes you. God has already declared you are right and just. Now God is bringing that to a reality in your life right here and right now. God deserves the glory for your justification and your sanctification. He has saved you from sin's penalty. He is saving you from sin's power. And one day He will save you from sin's presence. That's our glorification. It's our glorification in the book of Romans. Paul speaks about this, Romans chapter 8 specifically, verses 16 through 18. Paul speaking about our, uh, our adoption. He says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that, the result is this, so that we may also be glorified with Him. God says that we will be glorified with Christ. For I consider, Paul says, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the what? With the glory that is to be revealed to us. We are being transformed in the image of Christ and one day in glory. One day when we die and we leave this current existence or one day when Christ returns and raptures us up and transforms our body into, the, into the, His glorious body, one day we will be glorified. That means that the glory that God deserves will be poured out on us. By His grace, we will be transformed. Our bodies physically, our minds, our hearts, our spirits, everything that makes you you in Christ, one day will be glorified. That's the promise of God, what we've got to look forward to if we are in Christ. Now, if you are not in Christ, if you have not been justified, then you are not being sanctified. If you are not being sanctified, you will not be glorified. That means you must be in Christ. 
to, to receive the blessings that God has for you, to, to, to glorify God like He truly deserves, that means you must humbly receive Christ. That means you humbly open your heart. That means you humbly trust in Christ. You've got to lower yourself so that one day God would exalt you and glorify you. His ultimate goal is your glorification. His ultimate goal is one day our eternal destiny for God to completely rid us, deliver us from the presence of sin. That day is coming if we are in Christ. So God deserves the glory. Why? Because God created you. God deserves the glory. Why? Because God sustains you. God deserves the glory. Why? Because God redeemed you. And he didn't have to do that. But by his sovereign will, he chose to do that. And by his saving work, he accomplished that by saving you from sin's penalty. By saving you from sin's power. By one day saving you from sin's presence. There will be no sin in heaven. There will be no temptation in heaven. There will be glory in heaven. So what that means for us, it means that we must give God the glory He rightfully deserves. Ultimately, we do that by humbly trusting in His Son. You know, sometimes when you're working with electronic devices, they don't work the way that they're supposed to. And sometimes, sometimes I think it's just because we've got too much going on with these devices and they get cluttered and, and you've got to do something with them. You've got to reset them. Sometimes there's a reset button. The other day, our, 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 our satellite receiver wasn't working in the bedroom, so I finally had to unplug the thing from the wall, wait a few seconds, plug it back in, lo and behold, it worked. In the computer, sometimes we need to do a reboot. You know, you've got re, to restart the computer. And, and sometimes that doesn't even work, and you've got you to press the, the power button and hold it for a long time and wait for it to power off, then power it back on. They call that a hard boot. And they'll say, you need to hard boot your computer. And I'm like, yeah, I would like to hard boot my computer. This thing will start acting right. But you know, in many ways, in many ways this sermon was a hard boot for me. Because like these electronic devices, all of us are guilty of this. Sometimes the clutter of life just begins to, to, to work in our hearts and in our minds. And sometimes we've just got so much going on that it's almost impossible to glorify God as we're supposed to. And as I was thinking about this, and these messages, and I've told you this before, these, these messages on the five solas have been very challenging for me in some ways because I'm used to preaching verse by verse, and, and these messages have, have been all across the Scriptures, and so that's been a bit of a challenge. But also to take these, these gigantic themes and condense them down to one sermon, one sermon on Scripture. One sermon on grace. One sermon on faith. One sermon on Christ. Are you kidding me? And then the sermon on glory. God's glory alone. And as I was working on that this week, it just it hit me afresh. God, I don't deserve to preach on your glory. Lord, who am I? I don't deserve to stand before anyone and, and, and try to somehow condense the glory of God into a 40-minute message with beautifully alliterated bullet points and say, here's the glory of God. 
What is that? The glory of God is something that cannot be contained. The glory of God is, is something, unfortunately, that we all rob God of. And as I was working on that message this week, I, there was more than one occasion where I almost said, you know what, God, I'm not worthy of this. I'm just going to preach something else. But in reality, if I can't preach on that, I'm not worthy to preach on anything else. And so ultimately what reconciled this in my mind, eventually I think God just kind of showed me this and said, you know, well, how, how do you want to glorify me? How, how can you glorify me? What is the most effective way to glorify God? Is it the most effective way to glorify God by living a good life and just saying, hey God, look at me. Look at this glory I'm giving you. How awesome I am. Or is the most effective way to glorify God to recognize that you don't and you can't because all have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of God. Every single one of us. So I think the most effective way for you and I to glorify God is to acknowledge that our sin prevents us from doing just that. And acknowledging that the only way, God, I give you the glory you rightfully deserve is to come to you on your terms because, God, you have sent the rescue to me and that rescue is your son, Jesus. He is God made flesh. He is God in the flesh living a sinless life and dying on a cross in my place. He is God in the flesh dying for me to bear my sin and my penalty to give me His righteousness and then three days later rising again showing that the payment was made in full. The only way to glorify God is to come to God on His terms, humbly acknowledge that God, it's either Christ or nothing for me and then by faith trusting in that beautiful gospel message made possible by the majestic Son of God. And God says, that's how you glorify me. You glorify me by recognizing you can't glorify me unless you come in faith and trust in Christ. Because you have nothing to offer God He does not already have. And your good works are like filthy rags in the eyes of God. The only way you and I can glorify God truly is through that hard boot of just pressing the reset button or better yet allowing God to press the reset button and unplug from everything else and recognize I've got a creator and I've got a sustainer and I've got a redeemer that deserves all of my glory and yet I am robbing that from him because I am finding satisfaction in something other than God. I am finding joy in something other than God and I am worshiping the creation rather than the creator. We glorify God by coming to him on his terms and saying, God, I'm broken, I'm wretched, I'm sinful, I'm depraved. I don't deserve anything you have to give me, but God, I receive your grace. And God, through your grace, I put my faith in your Son. And by putting my faith in your Son, God, you receive the glory. Are you glorifying God as He deserves? If you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ to be saved, you are robbing God of His glory. We glorify the Lord by our love and by our life. By our love, that we love Him 
and we appreciate Him more than anything else in existence. Do you do that? Do you love God more than anything else? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then through your life, loving your neighbor as yourself, allowing the affection to change your actions. Your actions will follow if your affections are right. Glorify the Lord by loving Him. And you love Him by coming to Him in faith and trusting in His Son, Jesus. And then allowing that transformation to take place coming out in the way you live. Don't rob God of another moment of the glory He rightfully deserves. Worship Him in spirit and truth by wholly trusting in His grace through faith in His Son Jesus because that is what the Scripture says to do. And when we do that, all glory goes to God, to God alone. Let's pray together. Father.